The vision of St. Peter's is to be a family on mission to bring people home. You'll hear us banging on about that all the time, to be a family on mission to bring people home. And just recently, I've been thinking about this vision along with my wife, Hanau, and we've been talking about it. And we were like, is it big enough? Like, shouldn't we have a vision that's like taking over London for Jesus or completely revamping the country in the name of Jesus or something like that? We were wondering if it actually fulfills what a vision is. I get very confused by vision and values and mission. I have no idea what the difference is. It makes no sense to me. But anyway, we looked at it and then we thought, well, actually, if we want to be a a church that we believe should feel like a family, and we define family here as being fully known, being unconditionally loved, becoming who we're called to be, that is a lifetime of work right there. Like being vulnerable as a family together, making ourselves known, becoming who we're called to be. This is a lifetime activity. It really is a huge vision. If we really want to be a church that's not just a family, not just cozy and nice on Sunday, but that is on mission together as a family, and we believe that fullness of life is found in relationship with Jesus, and therefore our mission is to simply introduce everyone we know to the person of Jesus, then to have that culture at the center of our church as a driving force behind everything we do is a lifetime mission. Like that. That's a lifetime vision. It's huge because if you think about all the people we come into contact with day in, day out in our normal lives because church really is Monday to Saturday, Sunday should be the celebration of stuff going on during the week, then that is a huge, huge vision because it needs to become a part of our culture. And if we really believe this idea of home, so what we say here is we believe that we are most at home in the presence of God. If we really believe that, then we should be living most of our time in the presence of God. That, again, is a huge vision. That is a massive thing to try and cultivate and create a culture of in our life that when we invite the Holy Spirit, as we wake up in the morning, as we pray to him, as we go about our normal day, we are spending the whole time being filled and fueled by the presence and the power of God. That is a massive vision, huge thing to So therefore, we feel like it's too difficult to already achieve, so we're going to keep it. So you will keep hearing us banging on about it. Family on mission to bring people home. But if this is the vision, what will that look like in practice? What kind of activities will we be engaged in as a church if we want to start to see that happen? Well, classic passage that we've read a few times here at St. Peter's is in Acts 2. Now, remember, Acts is narrative. So it's written by the gospel writer Luke, and he's written it basically as an historical account of what happened in the early church. And the mistake we often make as Christians is we take it as like didactive teaching, and we think if we can just tick all these boxes, then we'll fulfill what a church should be like in the 21st century. That would be a misreading of Acts because Acts is narrative. However, theologians talk about this idea of it having pattern value. So there's things in Acts that if we adopt as a church, as part of our culture, part of the activities that we engage in, then we will be being a biblically driven church. So we will start to fulfill some of the things that we see the early church doing back in the day 2,000 years ago. And let me tell you, if you ever read Acts, that is incredibly exciting. It's a really exciting thing to be a part of. So here's Acts 2 verse 42 onwards. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the thing that always strikes me about this is how 
simple the activities of the church really are. It's really not rocket science to try and repeat the activities of the illustration. It takes faith. So it takes a lot of risk, and faith is about risk. Like if we really want to step out and see these things happen, then it will take faith. But it's pretty easy and simple to understand. And I'm a pretty simple bloke. Chris often laughs at me because I always say, if we weren't eating it five years ago, why are we eating it now? And I apply that to many foods, including kale, which I had yesterday, which I really don't understand why we eat it. Anyway, I'm very simple. I like simple things, simple lists. So here's five things that as a church we should be doing as a church following the pattern value from Acts. Thing number one is teaching from the Bible. Now, they said there in verse 42 that the disciples, the early church, 3,000 plus of them at that time, because 3,000 had just come to faith, they devoted themselves, they gave their lives to teaching of the apostles. What's the teaching of the apostles? It's basically the teaching of Jesus. Why? Because the apostles walked around with Jesus for three years, and then when he was resurrected from the day, he explained the meaning of their death, the meaning of his resurrection, what that meant for the early church, and then the apostles basically every day taught everyone under their care what Jesus had just taught them, and they didn't just teach it they showed them exactly what it looked like so it was teaching it was like show and tell here is what Jesus is all about and here's an example of what it looks like so at St Peter's one of our core values one of our core parts of our culture is that we will always make sure everything we do is rooted in the Bible why because that's the closest source that we have to the teaching of Jesus and to the activity and the work of Jesus and the problem is these days as many of you will know particularly in a postmodern culture is that truth is relative, isn't it? So what's true for you can be true for you, and what's true for me can be totally different, but it's true for me, and therefore we both have the truth. The problem is when those two things conflict, and when they don't match up, and when you start to have conflict around our ideas of truth. And as a church here, we base everything that we do on the teaching of Jesus, because we believe that Jesus is the person of truth. So we don't believe here in truth, we believe in a person who happens to be truth itself. And so therefore, if we keep rooted in the person of Jesus, then we won't get wafted back and wafted, that's a lovely word, wafted back and forth by different things going on in our culture. Jesus says this, if you follow my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Postmodernity will tell you that it's telling you the truth, that you can have a relative truth. But the problem with postmodernity is we're really only trapping ourselves in our own emotions and our own feelings. Jesus says, I can take you out of that and I can give you true meaning, true feeling, true emotion, true fullness of life if you follow my teaching." Because that is what you were made to do. So we believe in teaching from the Bible. How do we do that? Obviously, a big part of that is what we do on Sundays when we teach from the Bible. It's going to be a big part of villages, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But from next week, you'll be glad to know that I won't be talking about money again. We'll be talking from the book of Mark. So we're going to do the Gospel of Mark, chapters 1 to 8, all the way up to Christmas. And so your homework for this week is to read chapter 1. Because we're doing a chapter a week, and it will take a while if we kind of went through every single bit of the chapter. So what we're asking the speakers do, to do is to ask the Holy Spirit, what's the one thing you want me to take out of this chapter and say to the church? And so therefore, as a church, let's commit to reading the whole chapter together. So you could do a few verses a day. You could do a chapter in one go. You could do the chapter every day if you are feeling particularly inspired. But that's what we're doing from now on. So Mark 1 to 8 from next week. And I believe that when we look at Mark's gospel, which is incredibly fun, by the way, it's my favorite gospel, it will transform your life. Not because I think the Bible transforms lives, I think Jesus transforms life. And that is the closest source that we have to the person of Jesus. And therefore, when we read it, we will be transformed. Teaching from the Bible. Second thing we see 
is community, radical community. Verse 42, they devoted themselves, they gave their lives to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread there isn't what we think of as breaking of bread when we take communion and when we do the responses on screen. Breaking of bread there was what they called an agape feast, a love feast, which is where they had a massive meal and they would share stories of all that God had done in the person of Jesus, all that God was currently doing in their lives and all that they were hoping for God to do. It was a celebration. It was exactly like a testimony time, but it was over a meal and they would do it together and they would praise God as they were doing it. They devoted themselves to that kind of community, which by the way... it requires us to make ourselves fully known, doesn't it? I really applaud the bravery of these guys that come up because it's vulnerable stuff that they're sharing to 150 people, many of whom they don't really know. And so devoting yourself to community means that we make ourselves known to each other. That word fellowship there is um, the Greek word koinonia, means to participate. So it could just as easily be, be translated as participate. They participated in what was going on. So the question for us constantly, if we consider ourselves a part of this family, is how am I participating? What am I giving? What am I doing? How am I involved? So they devoted themselves to radical family, radical community. And I think the story of this church is one of unbelievable community, radical community in the way. Many of you won't know this, but about almost a year and a half ago now, um, there were a bunch of young families from the church that I previously worked at called St. Mary's and some 20s and 30s from a church called King's Cross Church in King's Cross, funnily enough, who joined a group of people who were already worshipping here. Some had been worshipping here for 40, 50 years, about 30 people, existing congregation, came in and started worshipping together as one family. Now, the normal practice, and it's called a church graft, in the Church of England is often that what happens when new people come in and they bring a young kind of group in to try and revive the church, bring it back to life and start to grow it again, is they just simply create two services. So they have a morning service, which would suit the worship needs of the original congregation, and then they have a slightly later service for all the new people. Now, we decided right at the beginning not to do that, that we were going to do it all together as one congregation, as one family. Why? Because I believe that actually when you do that, you get something far richer as a worshipping community. If we had just planted as a bunch of white middle-class people from a very white middle-class church, all we would have is a church full of people who look like us, talk like us, and thought like us. Instead, what we have is an incredible incredibly diverse church, which really reflects the kingdom of God and is incredibly honoring and glorifying to him. And I love it. I think it's incredible and it's brilliant to be a part of it. And the one thing I'd like to say, kind of reflecting back on it a year in, is how incredible the original congregation have been with us young'uns who have moved in and started moving their furniture around. Um, This week, we say goodbye to Lynn, who's not here this morning. She's here next week. She's been on staff team for the last year. Essentially, we decided to pay her for the full-time work she was already doing. She's been running the church along with another number of very committed people of the original congregation. And as we were praying for Lynn, because she's coming off staff, she's not going anywhere, she's still warden of the church, the staff team were in tears as we were praying for her because of the incredible sacrifice and service that she's put into this church. And I think she personifies the um, attitude of that early congregation, that you guys have been incredible 
at seeing what God's doing. And even though sometimes you might not like some of the stuff that's going on, or it's different, or it feels uncomfortable because it's grown so much, you've been amazingly honoring to us and also to God and to see what God has been doing in our midst. And most, if not all, but probably two of that original congregation are still here with us worshiping, which I think is a real work of God and says so much about the original crowd. So thank you. Why don't we give them a round of applause? So what are we doing to create community? You'll know that we've just started something called Villages um, here at St. Peter's. Now, in my infinite wisdom, the third week of Villages, we were supposed to tell you how to sign up to them, and I totally forgot how to do that. So we did three weeks on Villages, and then I didn't tell you how to join them. Basically, you go on the... Many people worked it out because you're cleverer than I, but if you go on the website forward slash Villages, you'll have a little map, and it will show you the five villages that we're focusing on at the moment around the southeast, and you can see one near you, and then you can click on it, and all the info is on there to join up. Two, if not three, are almost already full up. So what we'll probably do is start to introduce villages as we go. Villages are midweek, mid-sized communities, about 20, 30 people, in which we believe we can create a sense of family. Because on Sunday, it's just too big now, and it's too transient, and it's only an hour and a half, so it's not enough time. So join a village. Also, what else are we doing? Well, it's also about creating community with our local community, isn't it? Just Not just people in church. So we've had a number of things going on this year. Um, many of you will know that we're running dance classes here Monday and Tuesday. It started off about a year ago now. On Monday and Tuesday now, we have 200 children coming through these doors for different classes that we put on. We've got about four or five dance teachers and Sarah and my wife and I have done a brilliant job of starting this thing up. Included with those 200 children are probably about another 150 adults who come through the door and at the center of the dance thing is basically in here we set up as a huge crash with coffee and sofas for parents and we try and create a sense of community so we've got tons of people coming in from the local community and from that already four families have come into church because of it so they didn't know about it before and now they've come along to that just for dance lessons for their kids they've got to know people and they've come to church so we want to see more and more of that happening we also run something called little fishes and bumps and babies in little fishes and bumps and babies we have 200 130 kids come to that Monday and Tuesday every single week. And so that's remarkable. Kids and the parents and carers that come in, and we've seen people come to faith through that as a result of the workers who are basically just creating community, but also when the opportunity comes up, they're talking about Jesus and they're offering to pray. So that is incredible. Carol, who's here this morning, has been running something called Friendship Cafe, which happens bi-weekly on Friday morning. And it's basically just a place to create community and help those who might feel lonely or might otherwise not have something to do then to come in and just have cake and have coffee and find family and find community. And it's incredibly important. We always talk about, don't we, about church being the antidote to loneliness. Like we believe that church really should be the answer to the loneliness problem we're seeing in society. So those are some of the things we're doing as a community. Third thing in this passage, ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 43, they were filled with awe by the signs and wonders that the apostles were performing. Now if you read the Gospels, it wouldn't be untrue to say that as you read about the life of Jesus, either Jesus has just done something miraculous, or he's in the process of doing something miraculous, or he's about to do something miraculous. It wouldn't be too hard to say exactly the same thing about the early church, that their experience was that the signs and wonders of the kingdom of God were breaking out 
all around them. And the whole point of signs and wonders is they're pointing to the person of Jesus. They're pointing to the fact that the kingdom of God, Jesus, is coming to earth and we're seeing heaven break out around us. So I long for this to be a church where every single week, either God has just done something miraculous among us. He's doing something right now miraculous among us. Or he's about to do something miraculous among us. And that's why we do testaments, because we hear about it week in, week out, of God at work, in our midst, showing us practical signs of the kingdom and his miracles and his Holy Spirit breaking out. Many of you know um, about what's happened with Lulu, my middle daughter, recently. Well, she got discharged on Friday from hospital, which is incredible. Um, If you don't know what happened, four or five weeks ago now, she had an incredible, incredibly bad burn, third degree burns, as bad as it gets, rushed to hospital. And we were told in that week that she would definitely have to have a skin graft on the right-hand side of her back and probably on the left, but they were going to leave it a week to see if the left-hand side turns. Well, we waited and we went back after three days and they said, we'll leave it another three days. We went back after three days. They said, we'll leave it another three days. And throughout all of this time, people in this church have been praying and some people have been getting together and fasting for her healing. And then a week later, they said, we'll just leave it one more week because it's doing better than we expected. One week ago, two weeks ago, we went in and they said, we cannot believe the healing that we've seen on her back. It looks likely that we're now not going to have to do a skin graft. And so that went on and on. And then on Friday, finally, we were told no skin graft whatsoever and that the back is almost completely healed. And I believe, I believe that's the result of prayer. And I've seen... Many miracles while I've been a Christian, and often they've been instant. It's felt like we've prayed, and then suddenly something has happened. And I think this has been an incredible lesson of healing over time, like three, four weeks. It's completely reversed the whole situation as a result of the prayer in our church. That should be normal in our church family. How else are we engaging in ministry in the power of the Spirit? Well, on Sunday services, I hope you'll realize that everything we do is so that we can have an encounter with the power and the presence of God. That's why we worship the way we worship. It's why we speak the way we speak. It's why we share prophecy and testimony. It's so that when we come to church, we're having an encounter with the Holy Spirit so that it feeds us in our week so that we can continue encountering the Holy Spirit because Paul talks about being filled to overflowing with his presence. It's something that we go on doing. Jesus says, how much more will I give the Holy Spirit, my Father give the Holy Spirit, the presence of God to those who ask. And therefore we do a lot of asking here, which is what ministry is, by the way, which is why we're so adamant about creating a culture of waiting on the Holy Spirit at the end of our services, because we can talk for England. We can sing songs for England. We can do as much community and social action as we like, but unless we leave space for the Holy Spirit to move, we're just going to be a social club or we're just going to be a theological college, or we're just going to be whatever, fill the blank. The whole point of us gathering together is that we are coming together to pursue the presence of God, to see his power break out among us and see the kingdom come. So that's why we're doing that. Ministry training, we taught 30 people how to do ministry in the last course. We're going to run another course this term. So if you haven't done ministry training, that's basically just teaching people how to pray for each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'd love you to come on that course. What you'll discover as you do it is it's incredibly simple. It's so simple, even I can do it. And it's very, very easy to learn. Some people get intimidated by this idea of praying and asking God for words of prophecy for people. It is the simplest thing to do. And so therefore we just 
debunk it and make it really easy for people to come and do. LSSM, you'll know, just started on Saturday. Andrew's basing LSSM. That's a London School of Supernatural Ministry here at St. Peter's. They've got 19 students signed up for this term. The way I like to think of LSSM is if you were to read the Gospels and then look at your life as a Christian, you'll probably find that there's a chasm between your experience and the experience of the disciples and of Jesus. I see LSSM as trying to close that chasm. So starting to try and help us to basically minister in the way that we read about Jesus ministering and the disciples ministering. And it will be incredible. You can still sign up. Can they still sign up for it? You can still sign up for that. So if you want to do that, you can do it. There's short courses, evening courses, part-time courses, full-time courses. But also, Andrew runs um, Saturdays. They're called Activation Days, where he'll open it up to the whole church. We can come, get a bit of teaching, and then we're going to go out onto the streets and we're going to pray for people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have words for people. We're going to pray for businesses. And we're going to do social action together. There's going to be lots of opportunities for that. So, Andrew, thank you for doing that here, and we're really grateful for that. Seek First Prayer Meeting. We have a prayer meeting, believe it or not, every Wednesday night at 7.30. And the thing that always strikes me about prayer meetings is, weirdly, over the last year and a half, we've been joined by quite a few ex-church leaders here at St. Peter's. And there's one thing that happens. Whenever an ex-church leader comes to St. Peter's, they come on Sunday for the first time, and then I can always guarantee you that they will be there on Wednesday at the prayer meeting. Why? Because they know that the health of the church depends on the prayer in the week. The prayer meeting that we do Wednesday night at 7.30 is the most important thing that we do as a church together because God does nothing apart from through prayer. And they're amazing. Please come. Hopefully there'll be way more prayer going on in villages now so we'll all be engaged in this. But on Wednesdays, the specific thing is to basically seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and we believe everything else will be taken care of. So we're seeking the kingdom of God for St. Peter's, for the Southeast and for on, so they're well worth coming to. 7.30 every Wednesday, and we want to build a culture here of always praying for healing, of always prophesying, even though we often get it wrong, or sometimes get it wrong, and to be a family, and so that it's okay when we get it wrong. The point is we're stepping out in faith, and we're prophesying. We want to always practice getting words of knowledge. We want to practice sharing testimony, sharing about what God is doing, because we believe if the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit isn't at the center of all we do, then all we're really doing is creating a human effort club, which I don't want to do, because it's a lot of effort. Four, social action, fourth key ingredient. They gave to those in need. They pulled their resources. Um, this is a huge part of what it means to be a church. And this church was doing a lot of this when we arrived and still continues to do a lot. A few things that have started this year, something called the CAP Jobs Club, Christians Against Poverty. It's an eight-week course where people who aren't currently in work can come and they receive teaching and then also one-to-one -one coaching to help them to get back into work. 11 people did the last course. Two people got full-time jobs. As a result, this course, we have six people people. So let's join together as a church and let's pray for those six people, all of them, to find full-time employment by the end of the course. It's one thing that we do here. We also do something called the Fellowship Fund. We've given £4,000 away in, from the Fellowship Fund as a part of need in our community. So we have this fund and people will, I will often find out about people who are in financial need in our church family and then I meet with them and then we can anonymously apply to a little panel of three people and tell them the need and then they essentially always apply prove it and then give the money and we can give the money to the person who needs it. And so that's one way that we help the poor among us in our church. And 
being a gift day, I'll talk about this in a minute. We'd love some of you who have a real heart for this to give directly to the fellowship fund because it's a separate fund in our church accounts. So if that's really on your heart, we'd love you to give to that. But we do have money in it and we always top it up anyway because it's very important to what we're doing. We also gave £1,400 to WAVE, which is trying to deal with the refugee crisis in Tuzla in Bosnia. Um, you would have heard me speak about that before. Um, we will continue to pray for Taya and everyone there. £1,000 we gave to support specifically Taya because she does it for free off her own back. We gave £1,000 to Marsha Phoenix around the corner, which helps house vulnerable, young, vulnerable women. And then £1,000 to Wave, which is the ministry in Tuzla. And we're going to be doing more, which I'll speak about in a second. We gave out 20 bursaries as a part of dance. So this is people who couldn't normally afford to send their kids to dance classes. We just let them come completely free. And that's just a part of our giving as a church. So 20 people who couldn't get professional ballet tip training or teaching before now have it as a result of that. We're also starting something up called Love Broccoli. And it's going to be a WhatsApp. And we're going to respond to general need in our community so that we can do that. And finally, Villages. We're going to have a termly mission as part of Villages. I'm speaking very fast because there's a lot to get through, so I'm just doing it so you can all go home and have your Sunday lunch. Villages are very important. Every time we'll be doing a missional aspect to that, so join a village, join a village, join a village, join a village, village, join a village. Fifth key ingredient, evangelism, final one. You'll be glad to know this needs to be a part of everything we do. No matter what we run here at St. Peter's, our heart really isn't, I mean, it is important that people get jobs. It is important that people feel supported. It is important that people feel a part of the family, but we believe here that the deep ache of every person's soul and heart is that they get into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the most important thing we do here at St. Peter's. So everything that we do is fueled by this desire of people meeting Jesus. And we find out in that passage that God added to their number daily those who are being saved. This is a work of the Spirit. This is a work of God. But if we don't talk about Jesus, it makes it a little bit more difficult. So we do have to do that. And it is really, really fun as you get doing it. I was reading the parable of the sower this week, what always strikes me is there to be a sower in his context and with all that seed going out is he has to be liberal with the seed. He's just throwing out seed left, right and center the whole time. Doesn't care what happens to it. He's just talking about Jesus constantly and then we let God do the rest and make it grow. So this needs to be a part of our culture. Um, little story, because it's fun. Some of you would have heard this story, but Andrew was, um, had just done a LSSM open day, was walking back to the station in Broccoli, past the building site on Cranfield Road, and felt like God tell him he should pray for one of the builders for a bad back. So he says to this builder, have you got a bad back? The guy's like, yeah, I've got a bad back. And he said, well, I'm a Christian. Go to that church up the road. I'd love to pray for you for healing. And the bloke, understandably, was probably, was he weirded out? Probably not. I thought it was, he was weirded out. And Andrew then put his hand on this builder. As he's put his hand on this builder's back, he starts to feel an incredible heat in his back. He's like, what is that heat? And Andrew says, that's the power of the Holy Spirit of God healing your back. Goes away, thinks nothing of it. A couple of days later, he's walking back from the station to church. And as he's passing the building site, Tony, who's the boss of the building site, calls down to Andrew and says, Oi, you, mate, come up here, come up here. And then he starts running off to go and find Andrew, goes and gets this um, other guy who had been healed, brings him down. He says, he's been telling everyone out, his back is completely healed as a result of your prayer. And he's told the whole building site, so I wondered if you could pray for my neck, because my neck's really bad right now. And then Andrew's got a line of people um, asking for prayer on a building site. And let me tell you, those are some sickly individuals, because they've been building things all the time. So therefore, their bodies are wrecked. And so he's praying for all of them. And then Andrew's says to me, why don't you go and give this guy a Bible um, midweek? So me and Chris toodle on down there a couple of weeks later. Um, we say to this guy um, who's on the scaffolding, is Andrew, because his name's Andrew, weirdly, is Andrew here? We'd love to give him a Bible. And he goes, that's the weirdest thing. 
Andrew came in this morning with his new Bible, and he's telling everyone about it and talking about this Bible that we found out later he hadn't read because it was King James Version. He didn't understand it. So anyway, he says he's down at the Weatherspoons. Go have a, have a chat with him. We go down to the Weatherspoons. We sit down. There's about probably 15 builders all sat around this table having lunch. I was like, is Andrew here? And they all looked at me like, who is this joker? And we ended up speaking to Andrew, and I asked him just what happened and what was going on. And he told the whole table, basically all of his builder friends have probably heard it a hundred times, about what Jesus had done. Turns out he went to his local church in Orpington and he's getting baptized very soon, so became a Christian as a result, which is incredible. That should be a normal part of our church here. We should have stories like that every week. So the question is, how do we get involved? Because the church isn't made up of activities. Like, often we make the mistake that the church is made up of bricks and building. It's really not. I think we can all agree on that. And then we flip from that into the church is made up of activities. So we just put on a ton of programs and services and stuff and that's the church that is not the church the whole point of the church is the people of God engaging in the work of God and so how can we as the living stones of the church engage in what's going on here with the first thing um, again remember I'm a simple person is come come along come come to church the stats suggest that we come to church our type of church one in four out of the year, out of the month, one in four Sundays, which I think makes it really difficult to build a sense of family. I think it makes it really difficult to get momentum as a church, missionally, but also in all the other ways I've just spoken about. So the first thing we can do, and life is life, isn't it? It gets busy. Sometimes we can't. Totally get that. But why don't we commit to making an hour and a half Sunday morning as the main thing we do Sunday morning? Just come to church. I think we all benefit as a result, because if you're not here, then a part of the body isn't expressed, and therefore we aren't whole as the teaching goes. Second thing you can do is belong. Join a village, join a village, join a village, join a village, join a village. Go online, join a village. Go forward slash villages and join a village. Find a village. The reason you need to join a village is because this is too big and you can't get to know people on Sunday. Therefore, we need to do it in villages. Join a village, join a village, join a village. Be fully known. Commit to be even fully known. Join a village. Third thing, serve. Go online, forward slash serve, or pick up one of those hello cards at the back. I get very confused by our flyers here. They're incredibly confusing. This one I understand. On the back, there's tick boxes, because I'm simple, and you can tick out what you want to get involved in, how you want to serve in church online. There's even more tick boxes. We love tick boxes. Go online, find something to serve in. It isn't just Sunday services. It's all the stuff we do midweek. Also, commit to giving your gift away to your village. So when you go to the village, the villages will be rubbish if you just expect the leaders to do the village. Like as you go to the village, you're supposed to bring yourself and your gift and what you're good at, and therefore villages will then be fun. Final bit, giving, which is what I'm going to end with. Here we go, giving. Bit of teaching on giving, Matthew 6, is what Jesus says about giving. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, either you'll hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what Jesus is saying. Money and possessions have the power to act like a God in our lives. The word used there is mammon, which literally translates as God. Essentially, what he's saying there is if we give our devotion to money, then essentially we're giving money the power to define our identity and our worth and who we are. 
And what we realize, the problem with this, is if we make money our God, then ultimately it's always going to let us down because it can't deliver meaning. It can't hold what we need it to hold. And I don't think you need to be rich to realize that money is not the answer. We all know it's not the answer because none of us ever have enough of it. It always leaves us wanting more, and therefore we know that it's a false sense of security that we get from it. And the point of this teaching is Jesus makes money a heart matter. He says, this is a matter of our heart. If we give our heart to money, then it will redefine us and it will ultimately always fail us and let us down. Choose, therefore, he says, to give our heart, give your sense of identity, your sense of worth to something that has eternal value instead, your relationship with God. This leaves us free to offer all our devotion and energy to him who really can define our identity, who really can hold what it means to have meaning and purpose and happiness in our life, who really can look after us in a way that money really can't, the kind of security we need as people who are walking around needing security, needing safety. And by the way, the teaching of Jesus is also that he'll take care of the money thing anyway if you give your heart to him first. Easier said than done, I know To be honest, it's supernatural, as all things are in the kingdom of God. Who's ever tried to forgive someone who's really, really, really hurt them? It's hard to do. It's a supernatural act. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do that. If we want to do this, how and to whom should we give money? The simple answer is that we should give money as the Spirit leads. I don't believe in the um, tithing thing of 10%. I think that's an Old Testament law. I think Jesus has fulfilled the law, but that doesn't quite let us off the hook because if you read the teaching of Jesus and certainly the practice of the New Testament is they seem to give way above 10%. In fact, they gave their whole lives to what they were devoted to in terms of their ministry and mission with Jesus. And so therefore, what you see in the New Testament is a radically new paradigm whereby people give everything to him. Paul also talks about being hilarious in our giving, which I think he means it's fun. So many of you here who give on a regular basis know it's a normal part of the Christian life will realize that it's really fun to give money away. The more you do it, the more you enjoy it, and it breaks the power of it over your life, and then God looks after you anyway. Of course, there's some obvious things. There's an expectation in the New Testament that Christians will set aside a portion of their income to support the work of their particular church, which makes sense, doesn't it? Because if money is a heart matter, then if we're trying to be a family here, then it makes sense if we're giving our heart to the family, to the church, to what's going on here, then money will ultimately follow that because it's a heart matter, as Jesus spoke about there. And so part of it is given to the church that you would consider yourself a part of. We're also encouraged in the Bible to give to the poor, especially the poor amongst the body of Christ, which we do formally through the fellowship fund but you will want to do in your own life why because it's fun the more you do it the more you realize it's fun try doing this this week if you come across someone who can't pay for something or need something why don't you pay for it for them or give it to them as a gift and watch how God moves through you and how much fun it is and how much better your week will go as a result if you give your money to St. Peter's what will it go on here's a pie chart hey look at that congregational giving we um, received in our budget run September to August a total of £191,000 um, last year. That's 2018, 2019. And 68% of that was because of congregational giving. We actually have a really healthy church here in terms of giving. So 85 people in this church give on a monthly basis an average of £130, which is brilliant. We have a really generous church. 12% of our income comes from grants. That's from things like Chris applying for cinema screens from the lottery and somehow getting 10 grand for it. 10% income comes from church activities, so this is paying for stuff that we do. 10% from renting the building out. 
This is how we spend it. Total expenditure was 172,000. We expected to have a deficit last year because whenever you start something up, as we were doing, you have to inject cash at the beginning and stuff. That didn't happen because people were so generous and therefore we were ended up 19K in the black, which is brilliant and really exciting. What are we spending money on? We're spending 42% on operations. That's gas, electric, insurance, boring, things like that, but also the staff salaries that relate to those kind of things. 20% on worship-related activities. That's making Sundays and midweek stuff happen. PA, AV, staff salaries related to that. 19% on community activities, that's socials, dance, little fishes, bumps of babies, all that thing. 14% on common fund, which goes back to the diocese, which helps train vicars and also does training for clergy, pays for some of my stipend, looks after the vicarage and things of that nature. And then 6% on mission, which is too small and we need to up. The reason it's so small is because we didn't expect to get so much in. And so therefore we give money away to the different ministries that we support. And this year we've already decided those ministries that we're going to support. The one rule we have as we give away as a church is that it needs to have a link with someone in our family so if you know of a great charity that's really on your heart and that you love please come and talk to me and we'd love to give money to that charity so that's what we spent our money on here's what we're planning to do next year we have employed new staff. So Anne, who we prayed for earlier, is amazing. She's our new full-time administrator. We've also employed a two-day-a-week caretaker, Bobby. You would have seen him walking around. He's got a ponytail. He's Dutch. He plays football like a Dutch man. He's amazing. He's on holiday at the moment. He's our new caretaker. The reason we have to have these guys is because of the growth of the church to be able to cope with everything that's going on. We also need to make building impro- improvements. We don't have enough space. So we need to move that font. We need to peg this stage back so that we can fit more people in. Our kids' church is regularly 50 to 60. 60 kids, which means we don't have the breakout room for that. We need to buy new space. We need to do a feasibility study on these two balconies because for some reason there's no stairs going to them and we need to work out how to use that back balcony so that we can make use of the space here at church. All of this costs money. Third thing we need to do is we would love to employ a three-day-a-week youth worker. Now, Anna has been doing a brilliant job of doing youth and kids all together, but because there's 50 to 60 kids she's looking after, it's hard to also look after the youth and the youth need lots of attention. So Chris has been doing an amazing job and the volunteers here have been doing an amazing job we'd love to employ someone to actually do that so we think we can get two days a week funding and part of that will be doing mission on local council estates which Chris is really passionate about this is Chris Henriette who's been here a long time but also a day a week of that will be for the church on Sundays for the youth that we have and it's I'm sure you'll all agree, a key part of their discipleship so that we can help them get their own relationship with Jesus so that when they go out into the world or to college or to wherever they're going next, they take with them this incredible relationship with him. So that's really important. We're going to pay for a youth worker this year. Students, Beck is doing an amazing job. We'd like to make that more viable. So therefore, we'd love to pay for a a more, probably a two to three day a week student worker. You'll have noticed that we're surrounded by Goldsmith students. There's some here this morning. We would love to do more at Goldsmiths and with the students that live around here. Finally, growing hope we would love to start something called growing hope you would have heard us talk about this. This is something that started at King's Cross and it provides two days of free therapy for children with additional needs during the week. What, we've, what people have noticed or people with kids with additional needs have noticed is that NHS can't cope with the demand and therefore they're not able to get the therapy that they need. So we believe that as a church we can be an answer to that. So we'll employ an occupational therapist or someone who's good at this and they will run a two-day clinic during the week offering six free sessions and also doing training for siblings, training for parents. And then on Sunday, they'll be here to help us as a church be as accessible as possible for families with children of additional needs so they'll be part of the children's work here and as I'm sure you realize we already have some families with children of additional needs we would love to be a place where people with kids with additional needs can come and it feels totally normal and it's really fun and really accessible and that they can all experience the presence of God so that's part of what we're doing there all of this will cost 
All of that, one, two, three, four, there we go. All of this will cost about another 50,000 pounds this year. That's about another 4K a week, uh, a month in um, additional giving. You can give a week if you like. In additional giving, um, here's how we can do that. Here's some practical ways. I'm told this helps. It doesn't help me, but it might help you. If you gave 500 a month, you'd fund one of the youth estate projects. If you gave 200 a month, you'd fund the creche refurb. We really need to do that because that's where the occupational therapy will be going on, and it's a mess at the moment. It needs to be fit for purpose, so we're going to have to spend quite a bit of money getting that ready, but also we need it midweek, and we need it on Sundays for the kids that we have because we're exploding. There's too many of them. £100 a month will pay for an eight-week cap course. £50 a month will pay for a feeding support for new mums, so we offer feeding support at Bumps and Babies for new mums. We need to train two people in the church in order to be able to do that. That costs money. £10 a month will give two kids ballet lessons who wouldn't ordinarily be able to afford it. How can you do it? You, um, if you join this church and you would consider yourself a part of the family and you haven't yet up, set up regular giving, then we'd love you to pray about setting up regular giving. Um, again, this is as the Spirit leads, so please pray about it. This isn't something we're forcing anyone to do because it's a Spirit-led activity. But would you please pray um, today, this week, about setting up a standing order so you're giving regularly? That's really helpful for us because standing orders help us regulate the flow of income in the church. Second thing, if you are already giving, we'd love you to pray about increasing your standing order. Again, this is a work of the Spirit. It's between you and God. You need to ask God about what to do. But we would love it if you are already giving, if you would consider praying about increasing your standing order and some people need or prefer to give one-off gifts you can also do that um, with the form I'm about to speak about and some people who kind of work on a freelance basis feel this is the easier way to give which often it is in their scenarios so they're the three options on your seat is a little flyer could you please pick up this I'm just going to talk you through it because it confuses me okay on the back there's your name there's your address there's your email. This is so we can hunt you down with your giving and send bouncers around to your house. This is a pledge form. So this is a pledge. So you put this in the basket saying, I feel like God's asking me to do this. In the week, our treasurer, Chris Harvey, will then write to you and say, thank you so much for pledging. Are you still up for it? Are you willing to follow through? Don't worry if you're not. Circumstances change. Things happen. But if you are, this is how you do it. That's all that's going to happen with this little filled out form. Um, setting up the regular gift is basically to set up a new one at the top there. If you want to increase your current standing order, could you just write in that little box what your um, new amount will be? So we'll be able to work out or Chris will we'll be able to work out what it was before and how much it's increased by so just do that there um, and then you'll do it online and basically you can take this gray form away with you and all the details you need for setting it up are on there um, one-off donations are below that the really important part of this form is that bottom section if you're a UK taxpayer we get 25p back for every pound the government gives us 25 pounds out of every hundred pounds just because we're a charity because they're nice isn't that lovely in a time where we all hate the government they're really good to us we get 25 pence back on every pound so fill that out I don't hate the government fill that out I might no I don't uh, fill that out and then we can get the tax back which is really fun right we're going to do exactly what we talked about. Sorry, that was so fast. There was too much to talk about. We're going to spend a little bit of moment silence asking the Holy Spirit what we should do and how we should respond. If you're a guest or visitor, just have a little lovely time in your head. <laughs> Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here with us. And we thank you for all that you are doing in our church. Thank you for the incredible ways you provided. I pray that you'd speak to us now about how we should respond to this gift day. Let's just wait for a bit. 